0: There's a recent edition of the, the magazine, The Atlantic, uh, had an article entitled, Will Mitt Romney, uh, s- uh, What re- Mitt Romney Saw in the Senate? And the article itself is, is an excerpt from a biography that just came out, of Romney, uh, <laughs> this is a great title, A Reckoning, <laughs> Romney, A Reckoning, which was released last month. If, you, if you've been following American politics over the la- past decade, then you can probably guess that what Mitt recounts isn't very encouraging. What he saw, uh, particularly for those who consider themselves centrist politically, uh, what he saw can simply be broken down to as political expediency, hypocrisy, certainly part of that. We might even throw the word distressing in all of that and what he saw behind the scenes and what he's been part of. You read something like that. You read about uh, politics that way, you hear stories like that, you read memoirs and biographies in which people uh, speak about the things that you might have suspected, and you can get stuck in your thoughts real easy and real quick. Of course, those thoughts might be raging, venomous thoughts. Then comes the temptation to really stick it to those political hacks, right? Let's stick it to them, perhaps even castigating them with a series of woes of our own that we might want to outline to really let them have it. In other words, when modern political leaders are more known for their corruption and their hypocrisy than anything else, our hackles go up, right? They go up. And there's a real problem on their hands and on our hands as well. And, of course, that would be shared by ancients as well when they think about their own leaders. Now, if you're getting a little nervous right now, you're like, whoa, whoa, he's coming out firing. This is going to be a big-time political talk right now. That's about all the politics I have for you this morning. Micah prophesies in the ancient world, when he's prophesying, he's prophesying during the reigns of three different kings. uh, The Judean king Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And those kings ruled 750 to 687 B.C., uh, and, and those kings also ruled during a time that paralleled the ministries of Hosea and Isaiah. So if you're familiar with those Old Testament texts, Micah falls right in that same kind of uh, time and era. And of course, it's an example of what we use the phrase in our own day of speaking truth to power. And we learn in the slim prophetic book of, of Micah, the extent of what Micah 1, five calls the transgressions and sins of these ancient people. Some of those include, of course, the uh, oldie of oldies, idolatry, right? That's one of them. That shows up in Micah 1 and Micah 5. Covetousness, which is followed by land and property grabs, uh, also shows up in Micah chapter 2. Uh, An absolute failure of leadership uh, shows up in Micah. That's what we see right here in in our chapter. Uh, Religious leadership, civil leadership, prophetic leadership, take them all. They're all messing it up. It's all a big, fat mess. And the result, of course, is is described quite aptly in verse 10 of our Micah text. Building of Zion with blood and Jerusalem with wrong. I don't know if you could describe things going sideways and upside down and absolutely wrong in a better way than that. Of course, there's a going through the motions. Uh, You see that text in uh, Micah chapter 6. Where personal sacrifice somehow replaces uh, actually participating in divine justice. That, that, that's something that happens. And of course, uh, uh, the good old corruption, lies, and violence. You know, it's, see, it's so strange to me how the ancient world could be so different from the modern world, right? That none of this would happen in our own day and age. Of course, this list becomes all the more disturbing when you think about how each of these does find expression in our own day. But for now, this is a state in which these ancients are living. And it's not what God wants. This is not what God wants. And it's certainly not what God wants for them either. It's not just a matter of God being displeased with what, what God's seeing. God doesn't want that for, for people, for these people. And we hear as much in that beloved text that's drawn from Micah chapter 6, verse 8, God has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. You don't write verses like that if you're living that. You write that because it's a stark contrast to the world in which Micah is prophesying. But, of course, they were not having it. They're not going to have it. Instead, they rely on a mistaken notion that we read in our text in verse 11. Surely the Lord is with us. No harm shall come upon us. And the backdrop being here that they could proceed in any way that they saw fit, evil or otherwise. Of course, they were mistaken, as verse 12 recounts and as history notes. So by the time we arrive at the first century, right? Get to Jesus' day, we might imagine that things have turned around. There's a 2017 Harvard Business Review article that makes the case that good leaders are dis- described as being in learning mode. So if you're going to be a good leader, you've got to be in learning mode. Good leaders are learners, is what the article is titled. And surely these first century influencers will have learned from the mistakes of the past, and they would be attending to deficiencies in their own day by applying those lessons that have been learned. Not exactly. Our gospel reading offers a strong rebuke, a denunciation, but also a caution against the example of the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day. And our text is quickly followed by a series of woe statements. So if you like Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, then you're going to love the Sermon of the Woes that follows our section here. And they're rather pointed statements. And I use the word pointed here not in the traditional sense, but in the sense of a pointy stick. Poking you in the eye. <laughs> They're those type of statements. They hurt. They get right to the point. You know exactly what's coming. And there's wor- the words in verse 23 couldn't be any more spot on between our text in Micah and what's coming out in the first century here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. Those weightier matters sound a lot like what God wants for us all the way back to Micah's day, right? Micah chapter 6, verse 8 stuff. And the influencers in Jesus' day, too, had missed the mark. They missed that mark. So how'd they get off track? Now, some of you have heard this story before. Not this particular story. Maybe you heard the story before, but the story I'm about to tell. Some of you have heard this. Maybe you all have heard this. But my dad liked to tell jokes. He liked to tell jokes. That's, now you maybe understand a little bit about me. All right, so he liked to tell jokes. And he was known to offer a funny quip from time to time. Now, my dad's name was John Harry McPherson. John Harry McPherson. And he got a piece of mail one time that came, and it said on it, John Henry McPherson. And my dad walked in the house and just simply said, what am I, a steel-driving man? Right, that was his, that's like, come on, Dad. But he would tell jokes and little quips all the time. I remember on one occasion he approached me with a knowing smirk. That same look that signaled a punchline was coming. Inquiring as to what I was studying in school. I was in college at the time. At the time, I was an undergraduate and I was preparing to go into ministry and to work in the church in the coming years. And so I shared that with him, which he already knew. That's important to the story. He already knew that stuff. Then came the punchline contemplating what I said or certainly doing his best work at acting as he's thinking about that, he just simply asked, does that mean I have to now call my son father? <laughs> I reminded him that neither of us were Roman Catholic, <laughs> so that didn't seem all that likely, but humorous nonetheless. Right there in verse 9 of our text this morning, our gospel reading, we'd see it, call no one father on earth. Of course this section also includes prohibitions against rabbi and instructor. This teaching on father though has most certainly sent many a reader uh, to go and confront their local Catholic priest. And we know that because if you go to the Q&A page for Catholic Answers webpage online they address this very question and they use the same text as do a great number of videos and content pages on the web and you will know it already I went to YouTube and I watched a couple of those videos. A cursory reading of the Apostle Paul's use of father imagery regarding his own ministry role, just as a side note, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 2, it of course exposes the fallacy of any objection here, and also reminds us that we can sidetrack ourselves, making points that only prove distractions, but are also altogether wrong-headed. And that's probably what goes sideways here. We start reading texts with kind of weird things in our imagination we start trying to answer questions that are not actually the question at the heart of the text we try to dodge what's being said somehow preventing ourselves from feeling the full weight of what's coming towards us and what's being said here jesus of course will counter those efforts with the clarity and the focus to which he speaks one thing we should note right from the beginning here is that there's a similarity in teaching going on here. There's a seeming rare point of agreement that happens in our gospel reading in verses two and three, with Jesus telling his hearers to follow the teaching of these scribes and Pharisees. If we just had that by itself, after you've read the entire Gospels and you've seen the encounters that Jesus has with scribes and Pharisees, and all of a sudden he he says like, "Listen to them," like you'd just go what? (laughs) What just happened here? Like, where's he going with this? But Jesus is essentially saying the law is still important and has value. Isn't what is in view for the critique, though? That's not what the critique's coming. That's what's going to come is critiquing something quite different. Instead, it's pointing to the hypocrisy that's being seen here, the practice that's being evidenced in the lives of those scribes and Pharisees. They're saying one thing, they're doing something different. In fact jesus own teaching in matthew demonstrates the importance of the law and go all the way back to chapter 5 and we have what's called antitheses where jesus says you have heard it said and then he interprets the law further down he says let me let me interpret the original law to be much more expansive here and of course there's recalibration that occurs in matthew's gospel matthew chapter 13 tells the story of a scribe who becomes a disciple and he says in the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. So bringing that history together uh, with it and seeing the benefit of both the new experience but also what was, uh, the person was steeped in and what they grew up in. So unlike the 2nd century Marcionites, that might drive some of you to Google this afternoon to look up who the Marcionites are, who rejected the writings of the Hebrew Bible and their modern day counterparts wherever they might show up, We shouldn't be so quick to devolve into a New Testament-only crowd. The church is not to be a New Testament crowd. Jesus' real brief teaching here points to that. But that may not be the biggest thing Jesus is saying here. He says that, but that may not be the biggest thing that's happening here. Instead, Jesus calls the leadership and calls his hearers, his disciples and followers to pursue an altogether different path. We're to go down a different path. Instead of clamoring to be seen and to be esteemed. Instead of being ones who, who seek out the powerful places for the point of just exercising power. Jesus says there's a different way of doing it. There's a different model that should be in play here. He says in verse 11, The greatest among you will be your servants. So when we talk about the church, and we talk about the way that we live together, that we embody this community, this corporate understanding that we have, First and foremost, the greatest among you will be your servant. And all who exalt themselves, verse 12, will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. What's happening is Jesus is setting the stage for those woes that are about to come to those scribes and Pharisees, that humbling that's to come here with that. But also an invitation to us as the church today as we read that first century document from Matthew's Gospel to hear that caution once more. I got caught in some unexpected traffic yesterday. Did you ever have that experience yesterday with all that rain? There was like flooding all over the place. There's like uh, ponds out in the middle of the roadways and stuff. Of course, after the, the heavy rains there, I ended up going down a series of side streets in downtown Renton. Now, have you ever driven through downtown Renton when it hasn't rained? You can get caught in the side streets of downtown Renton without any, like, weather conditions. But I'm cruising down by Renton High School. That's, how, that's like way, I was way downtown. Not in a Macklemore kind of sense, just in my own sense. So. But I'm down there and I'm, I'm cruising through. It seems like it's taking forever just to find a, a freeway. And on more than one occasion, vehicles were coming one direction, would block the intersection. You ever see this? Like the light just starts to turn red and a car turns in front of you and they block the whole intersection and now you can't go forward? It brings great joy does it not great joy I've got my daughters are in the back seat so it can't bring too much joy if you know what I mean <laughs> so they're blocking the intersection and I'm pa- trying to pass through and it's creating a s- uh, significant and frustrating delays there's a lot of blaming of the other guy that's going through my mind in those moments a lot of blaming <laughs> they have a problem they've got a problem They are the problem. They're wrecking my life. They're crimping my style. They're destroying everything that I hold dear right now. So I'm trying to get across this intersection. And Google Maps just keeps showing me a yellow and a red line. Of course, I'm never admitting my own contribution here to impeding the path of others. I never admit to that. Dale Bruner identifies the temptation to use Matthew's words here, and we can include Micah here as well, to label how, ba- how bad our enemies were and are. We could fall into a temptation to say that this text is really about to show just how bad the Pharisees and the scribes were, how they were crimping Jesus' style, how they are ruining the message. We could say, yeah, that was about those guys over there. But Bruner cautions against this and points to another way in his commentary. That the chapter may in fact intend to serve as a warning and a critique for ourselves. With Bruner replacing scribes and Pharisees with, get this, the Bible teachers and the serious. The Bible teachers and the serious. So, have you ever thought about yourself as being seriously faithful and seriously about understanding God's Word? and seriously about following Jesus, Bruner would say, this is who this is talking to. If you thought yourself about one who studied the Bible, know God's Word backwards and forwards, this is who this is talking to, this text. There's a recognition here how easy it is for the more learned to become less leaders, to instead want to be seen and to be heard. Sometimes we feel that, sometimes we become that. I've got a lot of answers. I've got answers to questions you're not even asking. Sometimes we can fall in that trap. And that, of course, would be disastrous. We reach back to an even older voice in commentaries. John Calvin says that this is disastrous because, according to Calvin, it obscures the glory of God. Our pursuits to be seen obscure the glory of God. How different Jesus is. How different Jesus' call to us is. How different Jesus was to those influencers of his day and of Micah's day. And you might say to yourself this morning, well, is this just a morality lesson here today? This is a place where I get a slap on the wrist and say, hey, knock it off, get yourself back in line. No, it's not that at all. But rather it's an encouragement as we hear in the gospel itself. You have a teacher. You have a rabbi. You have one who can be called father. And Jesus here, as we read throughout the Gospels, expanded out even further to John's Gospel. You have a good shepherd. Right? When the leaders fail us, political, religious, otherwise, when they fail us and we look at them, we want to say, ah, they're the problem. What we should be looking at is recognizing our own hearts where we've created problems. And we turn to the one who is the good shepherd, the good leader, the good Messiah, the one who is the true Lord. We offer ourselves once more to his instruction, to his teaching. We invite a spirit to transform us that we might be different. Knowing that we're not trying to be seen, but rather that we are seen by the one who loves us. Who always loves us and calls us to grace and to wisdom may be so for our generation this day and forever amen friends let us pray lord we thank you on this day for your great love for us and even as we come to a text that can be challenging and challenging some of the commitments that we have or even some of the efforts that we we try to pursue that that quite frankly obscure your glory that your love still is extended to us And that you call us back, that you welcome us home, that you even come running to us. So Lord, on this day, we we confess our own need to be right. We confess our own need to be powerful. We confess our own need to be blind and even self-aware. Lord, open our imaginations and our hearts that we might live as those who serve. Those who love and care and who are generous. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.